Sea Stared, East Shade and Undertale. This is Staying In. Exciting, exciting news from the Turner household, everyone. Exciting news. Uh, we recently had to buy something for the house, which is always very exciting uh, when you get to buy something new. And we had to buy a new bin. Wow. Ah. Mm. Well, that's beaten my open. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so a bin, it's a, it's a standard daily yeah, purchase. It's a, it? it's, a, it's a normal we thing. We all need them. We all need we them. can't live without them. We all need them. And it's only when you start to buy one that you realise how much you consider how important a bin needs to look and function. Um, <laughs> so the first bin we bought is now still in its box in the hallway because it ended up being too big and we couldn't actually shut the door without it hitting the bin. So that was a bit of a, a failure. And <laughs> then the the second bin we got uh, actually fits where it needs to go in the kitchen. But it's quite a fancy bin that it requires batteries to operate because it it has a, a, a scent. Uh, it's lid. It's voice activated. <laughs> I wish it was voice activated. <laughs> no, it doesn't make chewing sounds when you put stuff in there. <laughs> Do you remember those? Pete, you probably don't know this, but... We used to have bins in the UK where you would throw things in and they would like make munching and chewing sounds. Well, hang on, no, no. Really? What? Did we? Did we? <laughs> yeah. When did we have those? I swear we did. No. No, we, we definitely did. I'm sorry. No. I mean <laughs> <laughs> uh, hang on, I've got to I've got to look this well, up. Yeah, wait, I'm getting some conflicting um you know, messaging here from you guys. Now did you have it or not? Bins that <laughs> make munching Sounds definitely. Hmm. <laughs> well, Chris, I think you've maybe missed out on a cultural touchstone. It sounds like. Uh, well, I've missed out on several. I, I mean, I sometimes do act like I've just thought out of a glacier <laughs> they, and just been ingratiated <laughs> into culture. They're definitely one of those bins that were big and green and had a massive mouth. Right. So like the bin like... equivalent of a Henry Hoover. Yes, but a, a bin equivalent. Anyway, my bin isn't big or green, and it doesn't make sounds when it eats my rubbish. Uh, but it does have a sensor on it. So it means that when you need to put something in the bin, you walk up to the bin, it uh, it obliges and opens up, and then you, you throw your rubbish in and, and the lid closes. Now, that's the theory of bin. The practice of bin is a lot different uh, now we have it in the kitchen. First of all, my dog, Poppy, is petrified of bin. Um, she she is so scared of the bin now. What she does is she takes her food in little clumps in her mouth and she and she picks it up next to the bin, really sheepishly. Then she'll walk it all the way into the living room, eat it, and then come for another bite. So so she's like ferrying her food in rations to make sure she's nowhere near this new bin that has a life of its own. Hmm. Now, Sam, is the bin shaped like a bear or any other <laughs> apex predator? I I'm, I'm curious as to why. Um. I, I guess to a dog size it could be because it's quite it's quite tall, slim, and black. So it could I mean, be. Yeah, to, to Poppy, it's like those those strange monoliths that appeared <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> the, the second problem is is that when um, me and my wife walk alongside of it, the um, the bin opens and closes every single time. If we're getting up in the middle of the night with our young son bin opens and closes makes a noise mm. as it does so if we're just walking to and from the the hallway into the kitchen bin will open and close every single time frustrating but the main uh. problem with it is is the bin seems to operate some sort of policy where it behaves like a roman emperor on <laughs> during a gladiators fight where whenever you want to throw something away you have to offer it up to the bin <laughs> <laughs> right. You have to you have to show the bin the food and then you have to wait a couple of seconds before it decides whether yes, I will take this food and it opens up its lid and you throw the food in and then and then and then you can carry on with your day. It's exceptionally weird. <laughs> and that's such a small thing, right? But it is it is annoying to have spent your entire <laughs> life with a certain motion of throwing something away and then all of a sudden 
you know, there is a pause in it, as small as it may be, you know, that's but it, all it takes. But it's the pause and it's the slight reverence you have to, because the bin's obviously lower than where I am. So we kind of have to bend down slightly to offer yep. food to bin. And then just that slight pause where you wait and see, oh, is it going to accept? Foil, it, it's a yes or no game. Foil, sometimes it's like, yeah, go for it. Sometimes like, nah, I don't really want the foil. My wife this afternoon was cleaning some off, some stuff off a chopping board and the bin was just like, I've had enough mid, mid clean and just started closing on the chopping board. <laughs> I was like, we cannot continue to live with this bin. It's appalling. It's like yeah. a self-service check-in. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know really what to do with it. We either accept it into our home as now the sort of the Pontius Pilate <laughs> of our lives. Some very lofty metaphors been applied <laughs> to what essentially is a trash receptacle. Yeah, but Chris, you don't understand what we have to do now to get rid of rubbish. We're literally like <laughs> on bended knee presenting favours for the gods. <laughs> and only then will it open up. <laughs> and then and, and then the other problem is like i just live in fear of you go to offer up to the bin and it's run out of batteries and then you're just like well now i'm holding rubbish and i mm -hmm. it's i'm not gonna be just struggle to open the bin you know <laughs> and i bet you it takes about like 23 double a batteries it takes a good four double <laughs> four double a's which is you know more than a remote control so yeah so that's that's the story of our new bin Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> I I had a weird thing the other day. I was driving. Uh, that's not the weird bit. And because where <laughs> we are at the moment, it's a bit of topsy turvy. Like I don't know about you, but I'm forgetting key events. Um, months <laughs> I, keep disappearing. I thought you were going to say rules of the road. No. Uh, <laughs> appointments that I had in the past, I'm trying to remember when they were, and I'm losing track of time very easily. And there was a moment, something I witnessed while I was driving that I thought was just a moment where I'd kind of cracked and reality had ceased to be because our new reality at the moment is a some kind of weird science fiction. Mm -hmm. mm. Walking up by the side of the road, was a gentleman looking incredibly quite dejected, slumping while walking. And he, and he waved to the car in front that was driving past. And that's, you know, pretty by the by, really. It's understandable, except for the fact that he was dressed from head to toe as Banana Man. This was at like 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay. And, and was there a, like a, a number across his chest on his back? No, like, no, 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 no one else in novelty costumes, no marathon running. Just a lone man, cape flapping in the wind of cars as they kind of drive past, dressed as Banana Man. And as possibly one of the... I don't know, Pete, if you've ever heard of Banana Man. I, I was about to ask, it, but I figured it you know, might be rude if it's a beloved, uh, you know. <laughs> but that's the thing, like, it is a beloved mm. UK cartoon character. But okay. it's not like... What, what I'm trying to say is it's not very easy to go into a shop and go, right, yeah, Iron Man, Batman. Oh, yep, Banana Man. Yep. You can't just pick a <laughs> right. Banana Man costume off the shelf. And likewise, Kevin Feige's not sat there planning <laughs> phase five thinking... Oh, Super geez. Ted, Banana <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. <laughs> um, so Banana Man is or was... Or I think he's still ongoing. Uh, no. Was a character that was a parody of Batman and Superman. And mm. I looked into this today because I thought I might talk about this. He's got an origin story. <laughs> and his origin story, one of his origin stories, because like is, all great is superheroes. Orange, is, is that an orange? Oh, in stop it. <laughs> and uh, an alien baby came to Earth. So very Superman-esque called uh -huh. Eric. His name's Eric. Um, ah. And because of the, the crescent of the moon, Uh, he became uh, had an affinity with bananas, and every time this young lad Eric eats a banana, he becomes Banana Man. And uh, he's but the strange thing is, he's like he's, he's he's pretty much invulnerable, but he has retained the same IQ of a child, basically. So he's extremely naive and ignorant. The saying goes for Banana Man: he has the muscles of twenty men and the brains of twenty muscles. 
which is clever. A re- it doesn't really roll off the tongue like faster than a speeding bullet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, a bizarre character that I'd completely forgotten that because I've got important things to remember, like pin numbers and stuff, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. until I saw this gentleman. Mm-hmm. It, it, it mm-hmm. does state on his Wikipedia page that one of his gadgets includes electronic thermal underwear yeah, on that same wikipedia page sam <laughs> yeah. in the same way that superman has an aversion to kryptonite banana man has the same aversion but to moldy bananas i've <laughs> 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 uh, been thinking about that though how quickly does a banana change like you only need to look at it and it just goes starts going black and then you need to throw it in the bin and yeah we've gone full circle <laughs> oh look at that you can tell which of us works in radio can't you yeah. So a few a few uh, weeks ago, I had the pleasure of um, being a guest on Pete with on your podcast with you, yes, uh, and your good friend uh, Andrew, yes, on the Two Can Play That Game podcast, and it was a, it was a wonderful pleasure Thank to be you. able to be indulged to speak about Mandala for yes. for a protracted period of time, and maybe a little bit too much about British colonial rule. Um, than I'm comfortable with. But uh, as an American, it's probably, you know, part of the Constitution, isn't it, to berate British people? That is part of it. You know, there's still a little bit of resentment uh, over here, you know. Um, It's a deflection on our part, you know what I mean? Because we, uh, as we discussed on that podcast, we've kind of taken the mantle. We are now the kings of... uh, pissing off the world essentially so uh <laughs> we, we carried that can for a good long while mm-hmm. yeah That's i mean right. some some might say we're still carrying it in some way shape or form but um <laughs> our can's not as big as it used to be probably <laughs> <laughs> but it but it was truly a pleasure to have you sam and 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 so i was delighted to to then get an email myself um a number of weeks later just saying hey would you want to come on with us and i said of course i would love to well, the ulterior motive was Pete couldn't make it, so we've essentially recast Pete with a with, a, <laughs> oh, with another see. Pete. I mean, you, I mean, I would in... say I would say upgraded. <laughs> <laughs> Pete two point zero. Yeah, beta Pete. <laughs> Peter beta. The Peter beta. Um, well, anytime you guys need a, a Pete, you know what I mean. Uh, give me a call. I'm I'm very you know like like Banana Man. I'm I'm ready in an instant. You know what I mean. I mean, it's, it's, it is really helpful for us that we don't have to learn another name. I mean, it's, yes, we, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that is really that that is really useful. Um, mental capacity being what it is, learning another name might have been might have been tricky. Um, yeah, but if you was... want, I can just put my. Uh, I can turn my video off, and you can just assume that I'm your your good friend Pete. <laughs> oh, don't do that. No. Okay. <laughs> no. He wouldn't want. He wouldn't want that. Mm, no. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My one of my abiding memories of um, being a guest on your show was when when we kind of finished and went in inverted quotation marks um, uh, off air. Yeah. Um, I kind of because your speciality is to talk about two player games. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of remember berating you with like all the two player games you must you must play. Yeah. In fact, mid recording, I had to abandon mine and Chris's game of Polis. Yes. To come and record with you, which is fastly becoming probably one of my favorite games I've played this year. Okay, that's um, the update is that it, it, it has turned into one of your favorites. I was wondering uh, how much yeah. you liked it. I, I listened to the episode on it, but now that you now that we've got even more time with it, you know. It's kind of one of those... It was kind of one of those games that even though it, it's just one of those kind of ones that's just simmered and stayed yeah. and, you know you know a game is really good or you're enjoying a game or anything really like any kind of media i guess tv or film when it when you leave it you're still Mm -hmm. thinking about it and asking questions about it and wondering about it and comparing other things to it yeah Um, stays on your mind that's good mm -hmm. well i know that when you specifically when you mentioned it while we were recording i immediately opened up a a tab on my browser and i was like i gotta figure what this thing is and as i was looking at it i was like this is right up our alley i immediately it clicked i as soon as i saw how complex all the elements of it were i was like <laughs> i was like this is me and andrew uh, you know to a t you, you have to mm-hmm. like do math on a you know pad of paper it seems like or whatnot like it, to, to see all the different just 
numbers that are uh, you could get really really stuck into it yes exactly the 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 less accessible it is to the normal person (laughs) you know (laughs) the more our mouths start to water i think you know yeah well well i might disappoint you with um (laughs) because because um um, i I have got another two-player game suggestion for you for you for Mm. yourself and for everyone really please please um because um me and my wife have been playing uh seastead recently Ah. Ah. which um is a game have you ever heard of a game called flotilla uh, i have heard of it but i have never played it so i've never played it either and i didn't know anything about it and quite ignorantly on um when i did uh, an unboxing for our instagram page i <laughs> flippantly said i have no idea what flotilla is and just carried on not realizing Uh-oh. that it's an actual game <laughs> in that builds the world which c said is set, set in um oh. and but if i was to describe it as water world to the game um that probably provides a bit more of a touchstone to- well see. hang on does it I because see. uh so over budget <laughs> uh, <laughs> box office failure uh oh, well, okay maybe not well just just imagine the world of water world not necessarily the success or failure of okay um of of, of that particular can you confirm film. that it's a vehicle for Kevin Costner, or was he not um, involved at all? Uh, unfortunately, he's not involved at all. No. Well, mm-hmm. mm, I don't know. You're losing me. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let me try and claw you back in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a game by Ian Cooper and Jan um, uh, Gonzalez. And so it is set in this kind of water world-esque um, universe where mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of water and not a lot of land to do stuff on. In fact, there's only um, flotillas where you essentially are building up little colonies and building up little settlements. And mm. essentially, I guess each player in, in this purely two-player game represents a certain you know faction in this flotilla world, and you're each sort of found these flotillas floating about in the oceans, and you're doing what you can to establish your your bases establish your your societies i guess yeah so you're building academies where you can teach people you're building ports where you can accept goods and building shipyards where you can which helps you explore the land a little bit better and to do all that you obviously have to collect resources and you do that by diving into the ocean and pulling out resources and using that to as a as a currency in the in this world of um seastead hmm. to build stuff on the on the things and and that kind of it's kind of a um a, a sort of very sort of simple um structure to the game like those are the only two things you do you go down you dive you pick resources or you or you build stuff on on your flotillas now sam is the idea that um the world has essentially flooded and so when you're diving down to pick it resources is it things from like theoretically like our world the the game world's past that have been flooded like our, like let's say you're diving down and there's like um i don't know cars and tires down there because there used to be a world down there kind of thing or that that's not the case but now you think mm. about now i think about it the resources are actually strangely ambiguous enough that they could be that so the resources are kelp which is kelp okay Mm -hmm, fish mm -hmm. which is fish but there's also iron and artifacts um the artifacts are represented by a um a bulbous jar but i assume in that sort of way that that's what it's kind of hinting at is that you found some sort of what would be ancient artifact a bit like in uh horizon zero dawn you know when you you, you stumble across something that's familiar to our world but not familiar to them that that could represent like he found like a a a taxi or a signpost or something and that's valuable to someone and and i was also uh, it called to mind maybe like the the cartoon adventure time where at some point in the series you actually come to the realization that uh, it 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 was uh used to be our world i guess before it became what the current world is and you start to notice in the background the background artists have put things that uh, have been like buried and yet they're mm. artifacts from our world essentially so uh, that's what i was thinking as you were describing that yeah yeah it it it's not that explicitly mm. in the artwork but mm-hmm. i i feel like it's definitely one of those games where if you wanted to really inhabit it in that way 
there is definitely the the scope for doing it yep. like the 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 wonderful thing i think about that theme in a sense and kind of what it does with that theme that i find i think what i find most interesting about um seastead is that even though it's really simple in its mechanics like you do just two things on your turn it has this wonderful sense of what i like to dub altruistic competition where every single thing that you do in the game both benefits everyone who's playing it Hmm. but also will increase the competitive the the competition between you two as as players so for example Hmm. the simple action of diving down to the ocean floor to go and pick something up is done by i split you choose so you look on your resource card you pick half of it and your opponent gets the other half oh so even that action itself is kind of suggesting to you that you know this is a harsh difficult world like you can't just do things on your own if you're going to go down and dive to do stuff your community can't support that on its own it needs help from from your other player so they're going to get some sort of benefit from what you from what you pick up and building works in exactly the same way when you build something it's not just a straight sort of com- conversion into victory points for you or some benefit down the line with that there is also some sort of benefit to the other player who's on that flotilla like they might get a discount on a further turn if they want to build something they might end up getting victory points because of where you've placed a port and where they've got a building on that flotilla mm. so like even though there's not like as you said this sort of artistic thematic vision with the with the game there is mm-hmm. this like almost playful sense of how of exploring how two communities may get along in this like very sparse and exposed landscape where even though they're building up to make the best colony they know that they need to cooperate in some way in yep. order to to get the most out of it and it's it just struck me whilst I was playing it that it's kind of something that I've never really experienced in a game like that before there was never any moment where unlike something like Carcassonne where you're all building towards the same thing there was never any moment in Carcassonne where you were overtly like blocking off someone's someone's success or you were Mm -hmm. you know leading someone with a cathedral that they could never complete or build or anything like that so it was it always kept managed to hold together this sense of like yes you're building a community and yes you know one of you will eventually be the best person in that community at sort Mm -hmm. of building and collecting resources but when the game's over it will be something that you've created together if that makes sense yeah totally and i think that adds another level of kind of mental arithmetic that you have to do Mm. uh as you're planning what your next move is etc and you're right like you I have not encountered this specific mechanic a lot where something that you do can benefit uh, the other person because you're kind of building, working towards something together, except there was a game that we covered recently uh, on our podcast uh, called Glasgow, um, which is a two-player game. Yeah, Um, and I I do love that one. And um, you are, of course, building a city together. Um, and so there are going to be times when you'll put something into the city, a building or a landmark or something like that. And it probably will help the other person a little bit in some way, whether it be to like activate a factory or, um, simply to put more things in that, that get them more points in the long run. But that's just another part of it where you're just like, well, but it's worth it for me to do this, honestly. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you just have to crunch those numbers real quick. And as long as it's worth it, you do it. So, uh, I like that extra layer. Yeah, I mean, now you now you mentioned it, suddenly um, it's sparking a lot of games that actually <laughs> that I remembered. It. But I think it's just a thematic thing. I think that's why it like sprung out of the out of out out of sort of the, the off the table for me in terms of like it does. We um, Chris and I we played Roman Roll, and there's mm. a little bit of that in there where if you build like if you build like a military um, what do they call it a military sort of garrison yeah. next to a um, a shoemaker suddenly that shoemaker gets a a bonus obviously the military needs shoes to you know right clothe themselves so so you get a bit of bonus from that but i think yeah i think in seastead it it 
because it felt like more like the crux of the game rather than just like or an interesting mechanic that you have to think of. Um, that's why it kind of struck me a little bit. And I think because it is the crux of the game, because it kind of runs through it like a like a, a stick of rock, there is, there's not that much of that analysis paralysis where you're, where, you know, you think through a move, like I said, like I guess you would do in Glasgow or like Roman Roll, and then mm-hmm. you get to the end of that process and go, uh, but it's going to do that for that person, so maybe I won't do it. Mm-hmm. With Seastead, that's the first consideration you have is if you're splitting resources, the first thing you think of is, right, what do I want to give the other person? Or if you're building a building, a building, it's how is this going to benefit the person? And then mm-hmm. you, co- you work back from that. Yep. So, so there's kind of the smatterings there of Hanami Koji mm-hmm. as a team, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. which I love. But the difference is that what you're talking about there, which I really quite like, I hadn't really considered before, is that often when you're playing a two-player game, immediately that creates a binary, yeah. winner and loser. Whereas actually it sounds to me that actually what this does here is um, first place, second place. And those mm-hmm. those are the same results, yeah. but actually perspective changes their meaning. Um, and that is that is an interesting dance that two-player games have to play, where which which is often what happens when you have you create a kind of a binary out of it, I suppose, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I think a little bit like Glasgow, what I know of Glasgow, um, it, this is actually like a really nice production, mm-hmm. and it's nice to have a two player game that isn't a deck of cards, that isn't, yeah, you know, that isn't that feels a little bit more resplendent and a little bit like right, we're going to do something now as just just me and you, which is why I love Polis so much. Is the fact mm-hmm. that like Polis is going to take up the whole table, Mandala. Here's this lovely tea towel that we're going to play the game onto. Yep. Um, uh, with with Seastead, it comes in a mandala sized box, a Glasgow sized box, but you get mm-hmm. these little flotillas, you get these wonderful little wooden pieces, indented um, player mats to play with. There's the diversity and the inclusivity of, of the characters of that inhabit the academy, which give you sort of um, select. Um, powers and boosts is is you know really wonderful to see and unfortunately we don't see enough of it especially in in board games and the the flexibility of the game as well each flotilla has different sides there's these things called decree cards which kind of balance the rules and essentially work as like contracts that you can take out to give you certain benefits if you do certain actions so Mm -hmm. it definitely feels like what a two-player game should be in the it should be an event. It should be something that you're setting up, especially with, with just one person, and yeah. something that you can just you can focus on for like 30, 40, 40 minutes and be like a special thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like that element as well, Sam. The idea that by the time you are done putting the time into the game that you have, mm-hmm. there's there's something literally physically there that you look yeah. upon and you go. Oh, we, we made that. that. We made that, yeah. or we built that, or or um, we we played cards into that, and now that there's something there, and then at at the end you, you look at it for a little while and you go, wasn't that nice? And then you go, okay, now it's time to pack <laughs> it up, pack it all up, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, pack it up. But uh, but in the meantime, like you said, it's not something where like by the end you just you just have your deck, you know, your your hand of cards you just is down to one, and, and you're yeah. just like, well, the game's over then, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's something about having something physically there to look upon that you that is mm, you know um, a symbol or a um, a representation of the time that you just spent doing that that's nice i like that i I always find kind of uh because i would primarily if i'm going to play any kind of board game i'm playing two player board games Mm -hmm. um even kind of before kind of lockdown because i'll play them sometimes with my wife but i don't really have a community around me that i'll be playing with and so Often the games we'll play, we play a lot more cooperatively because kind of competitively, she's not she's not big into kind of board games, and so there's probably a larger learning curve anytime we play something. So if it's a competitive game, that kind of doesn't that kind of doesn't feel fair because I'm probably going yeah. to win because I understand the game, and then that's not a fun experience for her, and it doesn't doesn't kind of bode well. So we play a lot of the exit games, um, yeah. and of those stuff like Sherlock Holmes, Consulting Detective. Um, so something like this does sound really interesting in terms of finding that fine balance between the competitive and the cooperative. So you can have a competitive game, but as you say, it doesn't really matter if you don't win or not because you are still achieving stuff with that. Yeah. So with uh, Seastead, what what's that kind of um, the learning curve with that for people who 
not necessarily never play games, but kind of by the sounds of it, there are lots of uh, pieces, lots of items that you need to be aware of. What's the what's the kind of learning curve you would need if if you're if you're not kind of au fait with games? Mm. I think I think the learning curve is relatively high. I think the rules could maybe be set out a little bit better to help this, but I think what gives seastead the edge and what i would say in terms of like persevering with it is because it does have this level of like altruism like everything you do benefits everyone every single turn if it's not your turn you're still interested in what the other person is doing so in terms of learning the game there you can learn through the other person so for example if dan you're just you take your turn and you're just picking up resources i get resources for doing that so if you're learning the game, you go, right, okay, I'm getting resources here. Obviously, these resources must be for something. So you can park that, you can do whatever you do whatever you want. And then suddenly I see on your turn, that, oh, you're building something. Oh, and that's had this effect. And because every action you do affects the other person in some way, it means that there's the other person, if they're not that au fait with, with board games, there's always something that's bringing them back to the game. There's never a moment where they can just sort of drift off and go, oh, I'm not really feeling this, like, which happens like in my e- wife sometimes. Every time. Because it kind of like drifts off and just goes, because there's always a point where you go, right, I've done this now, and you get this because of that. And it's like, oh, all right, okay, well, that's interesting. Well, if I do this, how's that going to benefit you? And um, I feel like because it's got that, that dynamic it just makes teaching it a bit easier it just means that like there's never like i get i get i get it's always like i get you get you get i get so it's always so you're kind of learning on every turn regardless if it's your turn or not yeah and 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 that's what like the best the best two player game should be like mandala does that every time you take a turn it affects the other person's turn away fungi's great at doing that as well because after you take a turn, the forest floor changes. So the other person always has to be like, right, this board is always constantly changing. I've got to, you know, I've, I'm, I've got to be involved. I've got to kind of get my head around how this works and 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 understand it. So it makes Seastead is a little more complicated. Like it is a bit like rules spaghetti sometimes. Just but that's just because like when you do this, it has this effect and this effect and this effect. And if you do that, it does this effect, this effect. But essentially. You are only doing two things. You're either building or you're or you're getting resources. And if you don't have the resources, then you need to dive. And if you do have the resources, then you build. And then that's suddenly, in terms of learning the game, that's a conversation that you're having with the other player is. And it's the same when me and Chris were learning Polis and when we were learning how to play Red Cathedral. It's it's kind of like, right, Chris, you've got this, so you could do this, or you could do that. And um I feel like that's just when you know you've got a good that's just a good game in general is if like it ha- you can have those kind of conversations if you can if you can look around the table and easily go to the person that you're playing with well you could do this or you could do that and they can do the same with you that you, you just know that you've got a good game when when you can do that so i hope that answers your <laughs> question <laughs> i think dan was looking for more of a number so. all right okay yeah. um three there uh, we go thank percent you. <laughs> so i've been holidaying recently been a holiday Ooh. i've been on holiday how i hear how? you ask. how well i've i've been cheating it dan i suppose like i've had to take my holidays in virtual worlds I see. because if i if i if i attempt to leave the country i will get slapped with quite a big fine indeed uh so i've been holidaying virtual worlds if you had to pick a board game or uh, a video game to holiday in? Mm. Great question, I know. Where would that be? Okay, so if it was like Ghost of Tsushima, I could go to the beautiful island of Tsushima, but I also have to fight samurai. Is that what you're... You, you have to fight Mongols, yeah. and But foxes oh. will guide you and you just have okay. to follow the wind mm. wherever you go. And, and birds will deliver you to, you know, outdoor hot pools to bathe yourself in. <laughs> so... Okay, okay, I'll I'll go with one. Uh, I mean, right now the idea of holiday with me would be relaxing. I'm very busy with, with you. work. Yeah, well, for for oh. me, the holiday that I oh. want is going to be a very relaxing holiday. Okay. I'm not saying <laughs> you should all want a holiday with me because it would be super relaxing. Um, so I want a holiday that's going to be relaxing. I'm busy at work. I have 
small children, so relaxation is key. So I'm going to say the world of flower, because I feel mm. that would be intensely oh. calming. I'm so hoping you would say Bioshock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rapture's wonderful this yeah. time of year. Pete, what about yourself? So I, I have two ideas for this, uh, for this mm. question. One, I feel like is kind of cheating because um, I would I would go to my Animal Crossing island. I feel like that's kind of the, how that's designed, right? This new one, you know? Um, it's almost like you are on holiday, essentially. Um, but uh, the thing that's interesting about Animal Crossing is just that it has always forced you to take a slower pace, um, just in the way that it's designed. Um, and so I feel like... That is would be a good thing for me. I think I do have to force myself oftentimes to take a slower pace with things. And so uh, so jumping into the world of Animal Crossing where, you know, there I mean, I guess there's some money to be made, but there's not really much money to be made. It's your your day is harvesting a few peaches and, you know, maybe <laughs> making maybe making a couple of shovel digs, you know what I mean? And and crafting a slingshot or something like that. That sounds like if those are my only options, it would kind of force me to have a holiday, which is good, I think, to slow myself <laughs> down. So I think I, mean, I think to get it, holiday. That, yeah. yeah, that sounds like a great retirement for me. Yes, That's brilliant. Exactly. I get those too confused sometimes, and I want to stay on holiday a little too long, you know. And actually, the other one—it's funny that you that you bring this up because uh, something I'm going to discuss in a little bit is actually also an answer to this question because there is a world, a section of the video game Undertale um, mm. called Snowden, which is just oh. a snowy village. And I, I think Sam might agree with me. I as as soon as I had discovered that place in this game, I said I would live here. This is just a, <laughs> this is a relaxing, lovely little place that I would live in, you know. So um, I, th I, I'm still deciding about Shishima. Oh, so Shishima, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's well, just the threat the, of death. The threat of death around any corner. You can't go on holiday mm. unless there's the possibility of peril. But I feel <laughs> like some of the best things I've done on holiday have been with a threat of death. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely same. Yeah. Now, Sam, if you were in that world, what what did you think? What do you think you'd be doing? Would you just be a, a vacationer, just someone on holiday, or would you be a part of that world somehow? You know, just, I could just imagine him with his sun cream yeah. on, his his Hawaiian he's, shirts he's and a, shorts and flip flops, hat, you know, and uh, map in hand, Lonely yeah. Planet Guide to Tsushima, taking pictures of uh, taking pictures of samurai, you know, uh, mm. <laughs> while they're um, ki executing someone. I like the idea of yeah. a massive battle and the camera just slides out of shot. <laughs> and Sam just sat there in a deck chair. <laughs> He's drinking a Mai Tai, you know, in yeah. the background of a huge battle. <laughs> I mean, the, the photo mode is excellent in Tsushima, so you'd come back with some great holiday snaps. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd, uh, I, I don't know. I'd be going for the haikus. Go for the haikus. Stay mm. for the the headshots. Mm -hmm. um, that would be... Uh, uh, any other games? I mean, Stardew Valley, again, to kind of riff off Pete's uh, Animal Crossing idea, but is that too much work on a holiday? It doesn't really feel like a like a holiday, not as much as um, Animal Crossing does. That's a good point. You'd have to, like, maybe craft your own hammock and whatnot in that mm. one. And uh, mm -hmm, Yeah, mm -hmm. I just, that just doesn't sound like a good holiday. Now, Pete, you mentioned Animal Crossing. Yeah. Now, I want you to take that image of Animal Crossing. Okay. <laughs> And I, want you to put, and I want you to <laughs> and I want you to put it in the Renaissance. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now I'm going to reel you in. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about um, Eastshade. I don't know if you've come across Eastshade at all, uh, but published from Eastshade Studios. So I don't know what your gaming setup is. Uh, I played this on the PlayStation, but it was, um, it was on uh, Steam and PC prior to that. Mm-hmm. It's an open-world RPG exploration game, first-person, and it's all about beauty, lightness, and kindness. You're an artist. You wash up on the, sh the shores of this island of Eastshade uh, to complete four paintings um, of your late mother's favorite places. And the inhabitants here are all animals, anthropomorphized animals, a bit like Animal Crossing, from all walks of life and you basically just walk around and you're just capturing you're looking for inspiration mm. to capture onto canvas and helping out people on the way who need it really there's no threat no danger no peril and no one's going to stop you 
there's stuff to do, but it's not like a huge epic sweeping quest. You've not got to save this place. You haven't got an agenda. It's not all about you at all. And there's something about that weight being lifted off you, which is really, really lovely. Because usually when I when I approach any kind of open world RPG, there's a set of expectations. I have a kind of a strategy. Um, mm-hmm. There's going to be a main quest that will appear yep. in arcs. There'll be lots of side quests, but they're not going to be really, really that important. You just do them to level up so you can really take on that big boss to give you that confidence. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a large world map. You'll start off small and it'll take time to reveal itself. And there are certain areas of the map I just can't get to yet because I'm not powerful enough. And sometimes that will be quantifiable by numbers and XP. None of that here. There is a little bit of gaining certain areas to the island, but that's in a kind of more narrativized sense, I would say. You haven't got to do any kind of complex calculations in your head, constantly leveling up and gearing up and things like that. You do that because of, for the sake of fashion, let's say, for example, it, it doesn't really matter. It's The whole point is to just walk around. Um, and what's quite telling is that Danny Weinbaum, who designed this game, who set up East Shade Studios, he used to work as an environment, environmental artist for kind of big AAA studios, and he just quit. And what I love is you go on his Twitter page, his bio basically says that he's making games that feel like places and you're not there to kill stuff. Mm. And there's something really lovely and refreshing about that. It's a little bit reminiscent to some extent of Ghost of Tsushima in the sense that, yes, Ghost of Tsushima is an open world game, but it's not a massive world. It's not like Assassin's Creed. And E-Shade is not a massive open world environment. Is is there is there like a some sort of driving force, like something that, that pushes you towards towards an end or completing certain things or can you just like bumble around and do you can just bumble around there is a kind of a game plan in the sense of completing these four paintings and when you do that you then you trigger the end game and you can if you want to then leave but you could just rush straight through that and then take your sweet time moving around there's nobody there tapping a watch you actually just enjoy you know the changing of the weather from light into day um, bumping into people there are inns that you can stay overnight at and what's really lovely is that and this is a really nice mechanic, uh, to paint, to be able to paint, you need the materials to build a canvas, but that's not too cumbersome, but you also need inspiration. Hmm. And the only way you get inspiration is by visiting new places, and then you get a bing, you've, you've accrued some inspiration there. <laughs> you've got inspiration points. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like your bin, where you've got to kind of like really make some kind of big offering to it. Hmm. It'll just appear and then disappear. There's no UI at all on the screen it is just this, these incredible panoramas of this extremely exquisitely beautiful island and if you add into that and um, phoenix glendinning glendinning's kind of this kind of lush and gentle score it's such a beautiful experience i completed the game and then i really really missed not the game i missed the landscape hmm. so i went straight back into it and reloaded my save point i still I've, i go back into it and it's become my audiobook game which we've spoken about before as a genre i've completed all the quests I will just go for a wonder in East Shade because I really just like it. There's nothing else new for me to do, although the trophy, my trophies seem to say otherwise. <laughs> I've still got yet to complete. But I actually just boot it up and it's just really nice to walk around. And the main quest isn't the quest. The side quests are the quest. Mm. And some of them are like really lovely and sweet and innocent, um, like helping someone who's got their head stuck in a jug. Um, or <laughs> capturing a fish that swollen have swallowed a ring, and I solved a murder at one. Sorry, I solved a crime at one point. I was a detective in a little hotel on this island, and and I, it was when I went back in the second time, I realised there was there were huge sections of the game I just hadn't explored, and it's become my summer home. Really, it's the place I go off and visit, and it's really really lovely. It's not this big grandiose bloated experience where you have to really psych yourself up for it you can literally just go and, and purchase it and i really recommend you do and it is a real real breath of fresh air mm. and it's just something that i think we all need right now <laughs> I, I i know you're not one to brag chris but i will brag on your behalf that you recently got the platinum trophy for ghosts of shishima mm. uh, congratulations it sounds Congrats. better when you say it. yeah <laughs> thanks um and like pete's right wow like you know that's no mean feat but what I'm interested in to know is like, is it the same thing that drives you to get 100% in Ghost of Tsushima that drives you to just see everything and explore E-Shade? Because you said like, it's not like a big bloated experience. We have to gear yourself up to, to do it. But like they're, they're both very different experiences. 
but you seem to be exploring them in kind of like a similar kind of way. So is it the same thing that drives you or is it because they're completely different? It, it's bizarre because I think it is really just the case in Ghost of Tsushima, like many kind of open world RPGs, there is peril around every corner. Mm. And even though I have completed Ghost of Tsushima, it's that classic open world video game. It's not as if all the enemy disappears off the map. <laughs> so I, I've not really been able to relax in Tsushima. There are moments of relaxation, but I have to trigger those. So, for example, I can write a haiku mid... I can start to kind of trigger writing a haiku as a bunch of Mongol soldiers are kind of hovering around me. They won't interfere with me because I'm writing a haiku. But as soon as I finish that haiku, that's when the battle continues. Mm. So it's not that same sense of relaxation. Because the island is so small and tight in Tsushima, the chances of bumping into these enemies are a little bit more... They're, they're more likely to happen... Um, I completed Ghost of Tsushima because, quite frankly, the trophies were feasible. They didn't; they weren't predicated. <laughs> no, genuinely, they were, weren't predicated on pulling off complex maneuvers with this particular boss. They were literally like one of them was find these hidden shrines on the island. I thought, oh, brilliant! That's a treasure hunt. That's Fair really enough. lovely. Yeah. Whereas in East Shade, I think it's I think it's that sense that there is still stuff left to explore there even though I feel like I have covered all of that island, knowing the fact there are still trophies that I have not triggered yet is enough. It's a bit like everybody's gone to the Rapture, which mm -hmm. FYI is my favourite game of all time, which I've spoken about at length before. <laughs> yes, you have. I'm super happy about this new game coming out by one of the environmental designers on it, the name of which escapes me. But I'm, I'm the same with you where everyone's gone with the Rapture because I completed that and, went, and thought I've done everything. There is yeah. nothing here that I've not seen. I have triggered every single story. I've done it. And then I looked at the trophy and it was like 4%. And I was like, come on, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Chris, I have a question cool. for you about this one specifically. How about the how about the uh, the people element? When you, when you say you want to jump back into East Shade and, of course, you want to explore the environment, explore more of the island itself, and you love being in that world are there are there actual are there characters you want to see again are there people that you've met in your gameplay that you want to check in on um uh, or is it mainly you feel like you are they're kind of background elements and it's more about your own character's experience in the world it's a really good question it's like um on the moments when i go traveling which admittedly like most people I haven't done for a while mm. this there are times when you kind of want to mingle yeah. um, with others. And it's quite nice to mingle with non-playable characters that aren't trying to kill you. Right. Uh, it sounds really silly, but that's really quite lovely uh, to have that sensation of, you know, and particularly in current climate, I'm not really mingling. Nobody is because mingling requires close proximity yeah. with another human being. And I think we're all, some of us are missing that kind of dopamine hit from contact and touch. Sure. And there is that illusion of haptic feedback in that regard about just being in a busy, bustling town centre. And there's this capital city in East Shade called Narva, which is just stunning. It's just extraordinary. It looks like something uh, Da Vinci would have designed. Mm -hmm. And there's something about being in that hustle and bustle. I mean, I live in a village. I don't, I don't, I've not been to a city centre in a long, long time. Mm. So there's something about that buzz that I quite like, the rhythm of the city, the pulse of it. But also equally, I know that very, very quickly, as is often the case of open world games where scale is just incredibly skewed, in a, in a matter of moments, I can be just in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And there's my friend who owns the hot air balloon that takes me up to the high mountain peaks. Mm -hmm. and, or I can do a nice coastal walk with these incredible windmills that remind me a lot of Mykonos on the side of the coast. Or there's some caves I can explore um, as well, likewise. It's, it's kind of got all more or less nearly every environment in one place really so i think it's it's getting a taste of that without it's just nice to not be the center of attention in a game it really really is mm. it's a really quite humbling experience oh, actually yeah that's a very interesting angle on it too where it's um obviously so many game experiences are everyone can't wait to meet you and talk to you and cheering you on and etc i've already heard about sounds you nice yeah. yeah exactly yo you're the hero we we all know about you you know what i mean we were actually literally just you know standing here looking at our watches waiting for you to get here to this town you know what i mean yeah 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 i've got a game in mind myself that shares a lot of things it sounds like with east shade but also mm -hmm. diverges in a very specific way 
it sounds like to me. I'm not as familiar with Ishade, but um, but I know that um, at least Sam and I are both very familiar with a game called Undertale, which yeah. is um, also in the world of RPG. It's a role-playing game. It happens to be turn-based, quite frankly, but it is is definitely on the other side of the spectrum of being open world than it sounds like Eshade is. This is there are very specific boundaries in the world of Undertale. It's 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 got you know I can't it, maybe five different um, very specific uh, levels let's say within the world, and um, so you you can't go exploring for hours. You know what I mean. However, you still somehow they pull off making it feel like a very fleshed out full world which i think is incredibly to their to their credit and one of the main reasons i think it diverges with what what it sounds like eshaded is and the and the reason that i brought up people specifically is that this game is extremely character driven if anything if mm -hmm. it's nothing else it's character driven basically so so that might be one thing about it that separates it from some other games um so this is a, an indie game that was essentially put together by more or less two people. Now there's there is a team of people that they thank by the end. You know what I mean? You you know you can't make anything on your own fully. But um, but it's mainly two people. One person that had an extremely strong vision um, and did an incredible bulk of the work, and then somebody who did almost all of the uh, fill in basically around it to to flesh out the game itself. Um, and then a bunch of other people who just did. Uh, small things to help out to pitch in basically and and that in and of itself is incredible too to have a video game made by you know more or less two people is is pretty wild mm -hmm. um and it came out in 2015 and then on top of that with its meager you know beginnings or whatnot it then went on to by the end of the year get put on a ton of game of the year nomination lists you know um and it even went uh went up against a lot of things some things we've even mentioned now like witcher 3 and competed against witcher 3 for rpg of the year on certain lists mm -hmm. so it's really kind of a wild story of pretty simple beginnings you know and rising up to be uh i believe it is actually i believe it is game facts best game ever or something like that uh, game game faqs that site um i think they might have given it an award that was just flat out um wow. as superlative of that as that something of yeah. something of that nature if i remember correctly uh and so you you're kind of if you hear that and you don't know much about it you go what what is this what happened how does that how's that possible you know what i mean but i think once you play it you kind of get a sense for it and it's certainly not for everybody i've definitely i remember the first time i uh i i, I just jumped into it for the first time about a month or so ago and I remember telling a friend uh, and coworker that I was going to be uh, giving it a shot. And he was like, oh, yeah, I tried it. It's uh, I can't do it. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, OK, well, I might be right there with you. I might also just jump right out of it immediately. Uh, but instead, I've been thinking about it ever since, honestly. So uh, it's a pretty basic story for the most part. Um, a child falls into another world essentially so monsters have gotten banished to the underworld hence the under the tale the tale of the underworld essentially and there's a a barrier that does not let them back up to the world of humans essentially because there was in the past a war and they got banished essentially and so a human child finds himself in a world of monsters underneath our world and is just simply trying to find their way um, back to their family, essentially. And then so what you do is you just play as this child progressing through the world um, to get to the point where you can uh, an entry point that you can get back to your world. So it's pretty basic in that that's nothing that's ground uh, breaking or uh, earth shattering or anything like that in terms of its structure of it of its story. And it's it's fairly linear for that matter, too. You you literally you start at the start point and um, and you just progress through the worlds, literally going left to right. Most of the time, from screen to screen, each screen has a new thing on it that you can do, um, and uh, and then eventually you end up at the end of the world. It's it, I don't know if you remember those old um, back when they had like NES games and Super NES games and things like that, and they would you'd have magazines that, that would uh, zoom out and give you the entire world uh, yeah. at once, which always um, you know amazed me. You know, um, but you could do that with this very easily. You can't do that with like Witcher Three. You can't do that with Eshade. It sounds like you can't really print 
on uh, over the course of two magazine pages the entire world essentially but you can with this game and and what and the fact that they pull off you really feeling like you were in that world is pretty amazing so the story is pretty basic but actually is is sound you know i think it's very solid the design of the world itself is very cool now the other thing about the main creator of this game is a, a fellow named toby fox from the states here um and so he had the vision and did a all the music did a lot of the obviously the design of the game itself um and then uh, timmy chang was um his partner in crime basically who did a lot of the artwork um for the for the world itself and between the two of them they did almost all of the entire game themselves and one of the pieces of trivia about the game is that uh, toby fox the person who had the main driving vision and uh, is the main creator created a lot of the artwork specifically for the combat sections in ms paint so uh, wow. and it's just insane to think that a game you know half of it being created in ms paint essentially then went on to go up against <laughs> you know like witcher 3 for RPG of the year, basically. It's pretty wild. So the world has a pretty simple color palette. You know, as a result, it's sprite-based. You know, he was just literally doing pixel art in MS Paint for a lot of these things. But then, of course, the, the landscapes itself, the, the world that you travel through was designed in a little bit more of a sophisticated uh, piece of technology by, by that other artist, Timmy Chang. And it just feels like I said, very fleshed out. It's it, 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 you go into a, the town of Snowden that I mentioned earlier, you go in there, there's a library, there's a pub. Um, the best thing about this game is there is a ton of things that is just absolutely unnecessary and it's lovely. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's no reason for a library to exist in this game. You, you don't, you don't get anything from it. You literally get nothing from it except the opportunity to talk to the people in the library and look at books that you'll never get anyway. And you don't get any kind of like bonus from looking at the books or anything like that. It's just that they're there to make Make you feel like you're in a world and there's there's never anything that's too difficult about the path that you travel which i think is very nice um there you don't there's no labyrinth there's no maze there's there are puzzles but they're really not that tough basically and so they all just add a lot of spice without being too much of an obstacle quite frankly so you mm -hmm. can i mean you can go through this game uh in a day if you if you really just powered through it basically um yeah. and um so it's up to you how much time you want to like just walk off to another screen where there's you know just something that they put in a fishing pole that you can reel something in and it has somebody's phone number on it and that's it there's no you know what i mean and uh, there's it has a, has a picture of a monster and a phone number and you say oh i don't like this i'm actually i don't like the look of this person i'm not going to call them <laughs> and then you walk away there's no you don't get that number to be used later you know it never comes up again um, so you could absolutely just not go on that screen if you don't want to, but you find yourself wanting to, quite frankly. Um, and uh, I, I always tell this one story. Uh, one of my favorite parts in the game that is completely useless is um, there's a puzzle kind of where you have to you can play a piano and you can play notes in a certain order on a piano. And it opens up a secret room and you go, wow, this is going to be great. I can't I can't wait to figure out what's behind here. And then you you see an orb on a pedestal and you're like, ooh, I'm about to get an orb. This is going to be, how's this going to change things? This sounds amazing. Um, and you go to take the orb and the game says, uh, oh, you can't actually take that right now. You have too many dogs in your inventory. And you're like, I've never I've never picked up a dog so far. I don't know what this, this is odd. And sure enough, you go into your inventory and there is, uh, it says that you have an annoying dog in your inventory, which you've never had before. And you go, all right, well, if I have, if this is, you know, uh, getting in the way of me getting this orb, I'll I'll drop this dog out of my inventory. And as soon as you drop the dog out of the inventory, he appears on screen and he steals the orb and he runs away. It, it you know what I mean? And then that's it. And it makes a little sound when he does it, and it, uh, a little jingle basically as he kind of dances over the orb. He t he absorbs the orb and then he dances off screen. And then you're just like, oh, well. So I get nothing, you know what I mean? And it's like, and the creator of the game is basically like, yeah, I just thought that was kind of a fun thing. It wasn't it fun, mm -hmm. that moment, you know? And uh, and I found myself on subsequent playthroughs going, I can't wait to get back to that room where I just get nothing. And I watch the dog <laughs> steal the orb, you know what I mean? It's, um, it, that kind of amazes me, you know what I mean? And I think that's, that's kind of the game in a nutshell. Every town that you walk into has characters in it that are just complete uh, NPCs, they don't even move. There's just a, they're a static sprite 
but they uh the creator has written so much great dialogue for these characters i'm kind of a dialogue freak and i love when it's pointless personally um if it if it just has flavor and this is all just flavor text so the characters are are a huge part though the stories is basic the world is solid and um sound and then he throws in these characters that just make the whole thing come alive, basically. Um, there's really a reason why when you go online, there are multiple lists that you can find that, of fans who are just like, who, hey, who are your favorite characters in this? You know what I mean? And it's always different. That people mm-hmm. just really connect to these, these characters. And um, I think it's just because they're extremely memorable. And they're more memorable to me than, uh, than even some of the top AAA games. And I think that's really one of the reasons why it, it became such a big success is because something like Uncharted, I've played all those games basically, and I enjoy them. And so I've had countless run-ins with Sully, the character, you know what I mean? I, I've, uh, I've talked to Sully numerous times in my life. Uh, and, but I can't really tell you a lot about him. I don't know. I just, I, if you were to tell me who's Sully, I'd be like, well, he's, he's older and he's, I guess he's kind of wiser, <laughs> you know, and he helps you out. He's got a mustache. Yeah. Smokes. But I don't know anything about his, you know, desires, you know what I mean? What he likes, what he doesn't like, you know what I mean? Um, Cigars and women, apparently. Right. That's all I can get. Something like that, basically, right? We just don't really get, we don't have a talk with him, really. It's, it, we have a quick talk with him where he goes, you know, uh, well, I guess we got to get out there. And then you start shooting. Yeah, I did a lot of shooting next to him, you know what I mean? But I didn't mm-hmm. do a lot of talking to him about, you know, what he thinks about what's going on in the world or things like that. And and in this game, it's the exact opposite. It's you, you all you get are their opinions and their desires and their motivations, which is, amazing and i think just makes them uh extremely memorable like i there's you walk into a, a what is essentially a shop it's just a burger place in a in a resort at some point and you can buy items that can help you know increase your health or whatever in in battle but really the reason it's there is because there's a guy who works there his name is burger pants and he just you can t- there's like a huge dialogue tree and you learn everything about him. Like, I know that he doesn't like where he works. You know what I mean? I know that he thinks that his boss is okay, but he's kind of weird. And uh, you know what I mean? Like, I know that he doesn't want you to work there. He doesn't think, he, you know, he thinks it's a dead-end job. You know, things like that. Like, he immediately shares his opinions on on things with you. And so that really becomes uh, an instantly memorable character. And it's really just a shopkeeper in an RPG. Suddenly, mm-hmm. I'm rem- suddenly, I'm remembering him months later. You know what I mean? And it's because... <laughs> He shared his his motivations with me, basically, I think is one of the main things. And I think things like that are things that would get cut out of most games. You know what I mean? If anybody ever yeah. tried to do that, you know, on a team, you know, for like a triple A game, they'd be like, why is this? What's this doing here? You know what I mean? Like what? I think somebody would literally bring you into the office and they'd go like, hey, this thing that you created, like, Why? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of fun, isn't it? Isn't it kind of cool or fun or whatever? And they'd go, get out. Just get out of here. Are you kidding me? You're fired. You know what I mean? I'm just looking at a level in MS Paint thinking, this isn't the Unreal Engine. <laughs> right, right. We exactly. definitely invested in. Exactly. And, and I, I love Undertale. But the thing is, I don't know if I could tell you why. Mm-hmm. All I know is that the ending made me cry. Mm. Um, yeah, which... well, Sam, for you. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you've cried at adverts before. Come on. I, I have cried at adverts. Real Steel was a particular highlight. <laughs> And Sam, there are um, multiple endings because there are essentially yes. three different ways to go through this game, main ways at least, because, yeah. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say, is, is is the thing that hooked me into playing Undertale was that I heard that the game has 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 this way of, of basically reacting to how you play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard of people saying, well, if you go through the game... F- once and kill everything and then you play the game again the inhabitants of of this underworld will be scared of you and they won't know why and that immediately struck me as an incredible thing to play with in a game and like if you fail at something and then reload a save like the game will refer will refer to things that you are doing as a player but essentially it was that act of how the game responds to you playing it essentially was the thing that like hooked me in and i guess that's why i love the game so much is is that it, it does do that in terms of reacting how you play i think like that thing of characters being scared of you and they don't know why is kind of like probably the, the pinnacle of that example but it does it does do those kind of things as you were saying pete in lots of very small minute ways as you're playing the game like the way that characters respond to you the way what what things happen to you when you 
when you fight an enemy and and like the combat system is is basically like a bullet hell shooter basically mm-hmm. like you either uh, avoid their attacks by learning sort of like the patterns and avoiding it with your heart or you like and then you decide if you've successfully avoided their attacks and you're still alive whether to spare them or fight back but sometimes the choices aren't that 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 simple sometimes you fight a dog and it's can't do you spare it or do you pat the dog and other characters do you um do you flatter them and you know do you suggest going out on a date with some characters yeah and i think what undertale did that made me love it so much is that just when you think that you've seen everything or just when you think that you you know everything that toby fox has has thought of there is always something else there's always a new surprise there's always something the game always finds another way to speak to you as a player and i've always loved games where you can go i wonder what would happen if i just do this and it responds yeah i think that's what nintendo do really well um especially like the uh, super mario odyssey on switch where it's just like i wonder what if i if i just go here and when you do that and you get a and you get a a reward for doing so i always relish those moments because it's like you know the person who designed that is going like i had that feeling too yeah yeah well done and undertale is just like that through and through it's just what it nails is not only creating a a wonderful world that you want to inhabit but it also constantly it nails that relationship between the designer and the person who's playing the game mm-hmm. and you always get this feeling that the people who design this are always going along with you mm-hmm. and they always seem to know exactly what you're thinking and what you're wanting to do at this moment and i think that's very very unique especially when it comes to things like rpgs where it's just assumed that you want to go on a mission it's just mm-hmm. assumed that you want to go and kill that that mm-hmm. bad thing That was episode 124 of Staying In, with Daniel Frost, Sam Turner, Pete Steele, and myself, Chris Darby. That was nice, wasn't it? Okay, usual public service announcement. If listening to our voices is not enough for you, follow us on all the main social media platforms. At Staying In Pod, we'll have you covered there. Our Instagram has been particularly active, with Sam filming himself unboxing anything that comes through his letterbox. If you, though, just want one quick link for everything, then stayinginpodcast.com is the place to be. If you want to ask us a question, or if your name is also Pete, get in touch at stayinginpod at gmail.com. Many thanks to Pete for being such a wonderful host who learns his lines well. Pete is a co-host of the excellent podcast Two Can Play That Game, alongside Andrew Miller. It's the podcast for people who have one friend. Pete and Andrew review two-player board games for those of us who are looking to play games with the only friend we have. You know who you are. You can listen to these two friends from any of your podcast services, as well as finding them at twocanplaythatgamepodcast.tumblr.com. That's twocanplaythatgamepodcast, all one word, .tumblr.com. Right, I'm off to read another chapter of Frank Miller's classic, Banana Man, Year One. Till next time, bye.